Walt also knew that something innately evil was occurring in Europe and the Far East. But there was nothing Roosevelt could do in the late thirties. The political will to intervene was not there. America had lost too many of her sons in the First World War, and its citizens weren't about to jump into another so quickly. It was Europe's problem. So Roosevelt, always the keen politician, bided his time and prepared for war as best he could. One of the things he did was to call on his close friend, Colonel Wild Bill Donovan. Donovan, a New York lawyer, had been awarded the Medal of Honor for leading the fighting 69th Infantry Regiment in France during World War I, and was one of Roosevelt's most keen and intense advisors. At the urging of Donovan, Roosevelt authorized the formation of the Office of Strategic Services. One of the first things Donovan did was to scour the armed forces and American universities for young men with the language skills that would aid the OSS in analyzing intercepted Axis power messages. Donovan also had something else in mind. He knew it wasn't a question of if America would enter the war, but a question of when. And when it did, he wanted to be ready to insert Americans behind German lines to organize resistance forces, gather intelligence, and if called on, assassinate the enemy. Thomas Stansfield was one of Wild Bill Donovan's greatest recruits. The thin farm boy from the western steppes of South Dakota was fluent in German, Norwegian, and spoke decent French. During the war, Stansfield was parachuted into both Norway and later France. Still in his early twenties, he was the leader of what was to become one of the OSS's most effective Jedburgh teams. After the war, General Eisenhower would say that the invasion of France would not have been possible if it were not for the efforts of the courageous Jedburgh teams to organize French resistance, provide detailed intelligence reports, and ultimately disrupt and confuse German troop movement during the first days of the invasion. Thomas Stansfield had been one of those brave men who had operated behind enemy lines for months, preparing the way for the invasion force. In the pre-dawn hours of D-Day, Stansfield and his Jedburgh team demolished a major rail line and a phone junction box. After the war, Stansfield continued to serve his country. When the CIA was formed in 1947, he became one of its first employees. He stayed in Europe for much of the next four decades, almost all of it behind the Iron Curtain. He was one of the agency's most effective recruiters of foreign agents. In the 80s, President Reagan was so impressed with the man's steely demeanor, he made him the Moscow station chief because he knew Stansfield would drive the Russians nuts. After Moscow, he was brought home to become the deputy director of operations, and then finally, director of central intelligence. He had served his country well, and had sought no recognition. On his deathbed, President Hayes had come to visit him. The president told Stansfield that preparations were underway for a full military burial at Arlington National Cemetery. The president also expressed his interest in eulogizing Stansfield himself. It was the least the country could do for a man who had given so much. Stansfield, in his typical humble way, declined and told the president that he wanted to be buried where he'd been born. No pomp and circumstance, just a simple private ceremony for a very private man. Kennedy brushed a moist strand of brown hair from her face. She missed him. Standing in the cold wind, the gray, bleak sky overhead, she felt alone and isolated, 
more so than at any other time in her life. When she lost her father to a car bombing in Beirut, it had been extremely painful. But there was one major difference. Back then, nothing was expected of her. It was all right to check out for six months and travel the world in search of answers. This time, she had no such luxury. First, there was Tommy, her extremely inquisitive six-year-old son. There was no running from that responsibility. Tommy's father had already done that, and Kennedy wasn't about to disappoint the most important person in her life for a second time. If it were only Tommy, she could handle it. But it wasn't. There was Washington. Kennedy looked to the west, at the rise of the Black Hills and their strange, ominous beauty. For a moment, the thought of running flashed across her mind. Take Tommy, quit the CIA, and run. Never look back, and avoid the...